Hey, this is Greg Sanders. Thanks for listening today. It's our hope that this message will help you connect to God, grow in His Word, and serve the kingdom in a greater capacity. Thanks for listening and enjoy today's message. Well, listen, we are so honored uh, to have a special guest with us to bring the Word today. And uh, for many of you, he's been, he's been at our church a few times since I've been here with you the last five years. So for many of you, uh, he, he doesn't need an introduction, but I'm going to give him uh, my best attempt at one anyway. He's, he's uh, known by many things. Uh, for us personally, he's known as, as Pastor Garrison because he was Megan's pastor uh, during her junior high and, and high school years. And I'll tell you what, the first pastor, it seems like the first five years Megan and I were dating, she was all, or were together and dating and got married, it seems like she was always saying, well, you know, Pastor Garrison. Harrison always said. So you're, you're, he's very quotable. He's been, uh, he's been our district superintendent here in Arkansas, and he did such a great job that they called him up to the, to the big leads at the national office several, several years. He's an author. He is a, uh, he's a great husband. He is an uh, accomplished musician, and he is the, today, we're just honored that he is our guest speaker to bring us the Word of God. Would you give him a great assembly welcome this morning? Pastor Garrison, thank you so much for being a part of our service today. God bless you. Hey, God bless Love you. Amen. Thank you, Pastor Greg. It's a joy to be with you today. Aren't you glad that you're part of the family of God? Yes. Don't you like everybody that's in the family of God? Yes. You better, because their mansion may be right next to yours. <laughs> it's a joy to be here. Oh, thank you. And... Uh, your pastors, Pastor Greg and Megan, are special friends. And I was just sitting there thinking a moment ago, listening to the worship, sensing God's presence. I, I know this is Pastor Appreciation Month, and they kind of say October's that month. But really, when you're in the body of Christ, Jesus is the chief shepherd. But the under-shepherds have a very unique role that they are called and anointed to do. Flattery is satanic. It's usually manipulative because somebody's actually giving out a compliment because they think it's going to help them, not the person they're complimenting. But honor and respect are biblical principles. Biblical principles. And just the challenge that your pastor brings to you on a weekly basis, just the shepherding atmosphere that they and their team create. It's worth your involvement with love and appreciation, words, and any other way you want to express it. So could we just write today? I know they know because they're here, and credibility comes with longevity sometimes, and most times it does. But could we just say, we love you, pastors, and let's just give them one more great big applause. Amen. I, I, uh, I've never said what I'm about to say, and since I, uh, I was the uh, assistant general superintendent for 12 years, and then I stepped away, didn't run again, and Doug Clay, the superintendent, asked me to lead this ministry called the Acts 2 Journey and helping churches get stronger. And I've been doing that ever since, and I'm excited about that. But somebody said, what is the post-executive Alton? How is that different from the 
executive when he was on the executive. And so I have two or three friends that like to pop off. And they said, he has no more filters. <laughs> or if he has them, he doesn't have very many. <laughs> so I've never said what I'm about to say because I'm always self-conscious about it. But I got to thinking about when he said the words, finish strong. And I thought, you know, I'm not a runner. You can look at me and tell I'm not. What do they call it when you're running a marathon and you're about to drop dead and then all of a sudden you get this extra boost? What's that called? Second wind. I thought that's what it was, but I, you get the second wind. Well, I don't know anything about the second wind. I walk a little bit, but I'm, I'm not a runner. But I do know what it is to have to finish strong. My problem is not trying to be a marathoner, but my problem is since I was four years old, I can't believe I'm saying all this, Greg. <laughs> Megan, please, don't tell Johanna, okay? But I, I've struggled with weight. I'm always on a diet. Somebody says, you're always on a diet. It doesn't always seem to work. I said, if I wasn't, you should see what I would look like. So I've been on a diet. And after you lose that first 15 or 20 pounds, you get into what they call the hard lard. Now, that's what I've never said in front of anybody <laughs> in public. But does anybody know what I'm talking about? You know, when I started the first week, four pounds, five pounds, oh, this is a snap. Now I get on there and I say, what's wrong with you? Talking to the scale, you know. <laughs> I did everything I was supposed to do, and I've gained a half a pound. <laughs> it's called the hard lard. So when you get close to the end sometimes, it seems to get a little more difficult. So I was thinking about the text that I want to share with you today, and I, I'm not going to give a lot of context to it, but I will tell you, the book is the book of Deuteronomy, and this book is literally an overview, a testimony, a look back, a review of the first five books or the first four books. It's, 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 it's Moses talking about all the past. And they are at a place called Kadesh Barnea. And it is right near, it's in the plains of Moab, but, but they're there, and, and the Jordan River is there uh, out ahead of them. And on the other side is God's promised land, Canaan. But most people, if they're not really astute in reading, they think, perhaps, or they don't understand, that this is the second time they've been at Kadesh Barnea. The first time was 40 years earlier. They'd just gotten out of over 400 years of Egyptians' bondage, and Moses had led them out. They had gotten to the edge, Kadesh Barnea of Jordan, and going into the Promised Land, and he sent out 12 spies. Now you know what I'm talking about. Because those 12 spies spent 40 days, and they came back, and 10 of them were negative and two were positive. Can anybody name the two positive ones? Joshua and Caleb. Okay, can you name the 10 negative ones? Come on. Lesson number one. If you're going to be negative, ain't nobody going to remember your name. <laughs> 
You're not going to be written up in any books. <laughs> so they came back and they were reporting that the giants were so big, they said, we look like grasshoppers in our sight. I mean, they also talked about the cities were too walled, and they also said the terrain was too rough. But they focused on these large, big men and went, called giants, and they said, we look like grasshoppers. And they actually said we were like grasshoppers in their sight. Well, I don't want to take a long time setting all this up, but let me just tell you, that wasn't true. That was their perception, but that wasn't true. How do I know that? Because if you get over in Joshua, Joshua, when he started possessing the land, as the successor to Moses, he sent two spies out. And they ran. She was, she was a, a lady of the evening, Rahab, and she says, man, we've heard about y'all. We heard how y'all defeated all these enemies, and our heart melted within us. In other words, we were scared. Now, these ten said, the giants were so big we couldn't do it. And she said what we really felt was that we couldn't, couldn't even defend ourselves against those Israelites because God was on their side. So what, what I want to talk about today is how do we get from where we are to where we need to be? Now, fear and apostasy and rebellion caused that group to take an 11-year, 11-day journey. That's what it had taken, about 11 days to go about 150 miles. And they turned it into a 40-year wilderness experience because... Now, if you tell anybody what I preached on... <laughs> This is for this room only, okay? Is this a safe room? <laughs> and yet, Kadesh Barnea was so amazing because now they're back there, but it's not the same group. God had to get rid of all of the doubt and unbelief, and this is a new generation. So I'm going to read the text. It's in Deuteronomy. It should show up on the screen. Chapter 1. Verse 6, the Lord our God said to us in Horeb, you have stayed long enough at this mountain. Turn and take your journey. Verse 8, see, I have set the land before you. Go in and take possession of the land that the Lord swore to your fathers to give to them and to their offspring. This generation, this new generation, is to remember the past. But now they have to pivot to the present and prepare for the future. Only take heed, verse 9, to yourself and diligently keep yourself, lest you forget the things your eyes have seen, lest they depart from the heart all the days of your life and teach them to your children and your grandchildren. What's God saying? It's okay to honor the past. And it's okay to rejoice in the past, but you can't stay here. There's a land to conquer, and we got to keep moving on. God is not in to the status quo. They're saying, because he is telling, and they're believing that something's got to happen 
They don't know exactly what their future is going to look like. They don't know what kind of challenges they're going to face. They don't know how many giants might be there. They may not know what kind of persecution. They just know they can't stay there. The harvest potential of where they were was inferior to where God wanted to take them. So what you have experienced in the past is wonderful. But the potential of your future is far greater. You got to finish strong. <laughs> now, the text that I have just read can be applied in several different ways. I don't know how the Holy Spirit will personalize it to you. Just think about it. Your faith journey, it's a great relevance because you can't stay where you are. There's nobody in this room that has arrived spiritually. Not you, not me, not pastor, not anybody. There's always a next level potential. <laughs> I said there's always a next level potential. 2 Corinthians chapter 3 verse 18 says, But we all with unveiled face beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord are being transformed into that same image from glory to glory. <laughs> From one degree of manifested excellency, that's glory, to another degree of manifested excellency, that's glory, that's greater glory. So God doesn't want you to stay where you are. He wants you to become more and more like Jesus and less and less like yourself. That's why you've been in this 40 days of communion. That's why pastors always say, let's stretch, let's go further, let's do what God's called us to do. So in your faith journey, you have a next level. There's so many other areas. So many other areas that the lessons that we're going to learn today can be applied. Let the Holy Spirit personalize it to you. Even what he just said about kingdom builders. He said, we have made a very, almost an unrealistic goal for us. But it's a huge goal of missions and building. You say, how do they go together? I remember when I was pastor just a few miles from here, we built a new building. But we said we will never, never, ever let the building cost keep us from our missions commitment. And so every time we took an offering for the building, we preceded it by 30 days or more by either a missions offering, a missions conference, or a missions trip. So you take care of what's on God's heart, and he'll take care of what's on your heart. Because, see, it's all part of the same thing. You say, well, how is the building missional? Think about it. The need for a new building is God-caused. His blessings were so rich and real that this place had to expand so that the ministry could be more effective to those who need life change, to those who need discipling, to those who need fellowship. If God's blessings brought about the need for more money, for more space, for another building, then God's future blessings are sufficient to meet the needs the former blessings have caused. <laughs> Does that make sense? <laughs> so the giving potential of people in the Old Testament when God called Moses to build a tabernacle was God arranged. He said, Moses, speak now in the ears of the people and let every man borrow of the neighbor and every woman of the neighbor jewels. And I could go on and talk about it, take a long time. But I can tell you, they had enough. 
Just as the potential was God arranged in Moses' day, so does God know the potential that's in this room, that's in this church, that's in this life. And he has the supernatural ability to make it possible. The giving was God-directed. He gave the exact commandments, the exact specifications. He gave it all. It was a free will offering. It was a revelation offering. God's not going to ask you to give what you don't have, but he will frequently ask you to give what you'd like to keep. Tweet that. <laughs> Giving should be God-inspiring and God-glorifying. So, you know what it says in Exodus chapter 36, verse 5? Are you ready for this? God so moved in the heart of the Israelites that they gave a surplus. And the Bible says in chapter 36 of Exodus, verse 5, the people bring much more than enough. Would you like to see the expression on Pastor Greg's face if he got up and said, you know what? Y'all have given so much more than what we asked for. You might even see him dance a jig. <laughs> This is what God has done through us. So that's the background. That's the, so to, 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 when you start moving toward finishing strong, no matter what the objective is, missions or building, whatever, I'm going to give you, it's not going to take long because I have a plane to catch in a little bit, and I have, a, I have an agreement with American Airlines. If I'm not there, they leave without me. <laughs> These guiding principles are principles that you can apply to any journey, your personal journey, your family journey, your business journey, and the journey of this church. Number one, these principles come straight out of Scripture and out of this context that I've just shared with you. The credibility of the mission is not measured by the opinions or decisions of other people. In other words, don't let negativity stop the mission. Remember? Moses walked into a maniacal monarch named Pharaoh. And he said, let my people go. 400 years plus of slavery. You know what Pharaoh said? No. Do you think God up in heaven go? I never saw that coming. <laughs> Just because Pharaoh said no didn't mean they weren't going to leave. Now, there's a lot of negotiation, and I don't have time to unpack that, but I can tell you the negativity didn't stop them. Then the ten spies came back and said, we're like grasshoppers. <laughs> Did that stop them? Any new endeavor will have those who oppose. Every time God inspires pastor to say something that's kind of revolutionary and bigger than life, out there in the hall or on the phone the next week or on social media, somebody's going to say, what do you think about what the pastor said? So those of you that understand this principle of we can't stay here. It's like you're walking through this congregation with a bucket of water on one side and a bucket of fire, 
of gasoline on the other. And when somebody gives a little negative opposition, you can either pour the gasoline on it and say, you know, I was thinking the same thing. <laughs> I just don't know how that's going to happen. And you can explode that fire and get it bigger, or you can douse it out with a little faith-filled water. We can't stay here. we got to keep going. Now, I don't expect a lot of shouts of glory coming here today. I'm just telling you that God has to inspire us to go where we've never been. Number two, the journey is always more difficult than we first perceived. If it was easy, everybody could do it. <laughs> Pharaoh let them go. Remember that? That was miraculous. What did they face right after he let them go? An army chasing them, a sea in front of them, two big mountain ranges on either side. It didn't look good. <laughs> and then when they got out there and they finally had this miracle of getting through the Red Sea, they didn't have anything to eat and they needed manna. Uh, that's what the, God thought. They didn't know anything about it. Manna just simply means what is it? <laughs> it was the first angel food cake. Somebody says, how much did they need? We're not talking about just a few people. We're talking about over 2 million people. Somebody calculated needed 1,500 tons of manna a day, 11 million gallons of water. If you eat that much manna, you'll choke. If you don't have the water, they got a lot of people. 11 million gallons of water would be about sufficient. They didn't do it for one day or two days or five days or 10 days. He had to supply it for 14,600 days. That's how long 40 years turns out to be. Add it all up, 21,900,000 tons of manna and 160 billion gallons of water at about $6 million a day. I just don't think you're going to go into the throne room of heaven with your teacup and run it dry. God is a God of abundance. Hallelujah. And there's more where that comes from. There's a lot of negative people out there that'll tell you that it won't happen. They, they tell you you don't have the ability. They'll tell you you can't do it. They'll tell you you failed before. They, they, they'll tell you they're just impossibility thinkers. They'll try to take your 11 by 17 picture and put it in a 5 by 7 frame. But don't let them do that because God is the one who is going to bring the victory. I like the Chinese proverb. It says, man who says it cannot be done should not enter Interrupt the man who's already doing it. <laughs> Let me just tell you one little thing. Opposition, trouble, problems, mistakes, overruns, bad business people is not a signal you're out of the will of God. In fact, sometimes it just underscores the fact that you are in the will of God. You hardly ever bump into somebody when you're going the same direction with them. If you are going the same direction with your adversary, he's not going to give you any problem. But as soon as you start doing God's will, start doing God's way, start doing God's business, he's going to get, he comes to steal, to kill, and to destroy. So don't be shocked. But, Pastor, I don't understand why we're having so many problems. This must be God's will that we not do it. You don't have to say amen. I'm, I'll be all right. <laughs> Number three, the vision, the casting of the vision, God's preferred future, the looking forward does not devalue previous blessings or successes. 
Now, this is a big deal. Not a lot of people think about it. You have circled this mountain long enough. He didn't say the mountain you've been circling was a bad mountain. You know why? It was Mount Sinai. It's where Moses got the Ten Commandments, where a new form of government was instituted. It was a place where he actually encountered the presence of Almighty God. I mean, it was not a bad mountain. But God says there's a new mountain. So whatever's happened at this church and in your life, it's not discounted because pastors saying we got to do something in the future remember what I read in verse 9 remember the past it will help equip you for the future remember the past that's the reason the Old Testament is so important the the Old Testament is in is the it's like the future looking forecasting I mean there's so much there foreshadowing that if you don't get that I mean book of Samuel book of Chronicles some people say well I read through those real quick sometimes <laughs> even the book of Leviticus all of the laws all of the, it's it's all pointing toward Jesus who's coming number four Attitudes and actions should never be determined by personal disappointments. Don't let your attack, somebody's attack, don't let the betrayal, as Pastor said a moment ago, defeat your ministry. Don't let some kind of struggle or pain or disappointment Destroy your leadership or spoil your attitude. You can't choose what happens to you, but you can determine how you respond. So many let past offenses dictate their future blessings. Well, I don't want to go to church anymore because I got hurt. That's exactly what the devil wants you to say. That's exact. You've just played into his hand. Can I tell you, your chances of having your feelings hurt in church are in church context, maybe not in the service, but if you attend a church, it's about 120%. Why? Because we're all human. I said we're all human. You stay around here long enough, and we're not paying people. Most of us are not paid. There's a few staff members and pastors. But most of us are volunteering, and we're walking in the ministry because we volunteer. Somebody says, well, why do people act like that? Because they can. If they acted that way on a job, they'd get fired. They act that way in school, they get expelled. They acted that way in a marriage, they'd get a frying pan upside their head. I mean, they just... You stay around long enough, somebody is going to sit in your spot. Come on. Key your car or kick your cat. I'm just telling you, it's going to happen. Don't look around. Don't, don't have a victim mentality. Quit blaming other people. I mean, you hear people all the time. 
I was raised without air conditioning, so now I am mad at everybody. I mean, they actually have seen on the news people that were serial killers blamed it on their youth. Girl Scout leader or the Boy Scout leader didn't give me enough cookies when I was seven years old, and now I'm a psychopathic maniac. <laughs> Husbands, wives, don't always obsess over your spouse's faults. It may have been those faults that helped them get a, not get a better spouse. <laughs> And you may have been responsible for that. <laughs> Come on. Guys, I can't talk about the ladies. Don't blame your wife. I mean, just understand. The arguments you thought you won, you didn't win. <laughs> Arguing with your wife is as useless as trying to blow out a light bulb. You just leave that alone. <laughs> you love her as Christ loved the church. That's what the Bible says. You lay down your life for her. You pamper her. You treat her like a thoroughbred. She'll quit acting like a nag. <laughs> I'm not doing a marriage retreat, but I just couldn't <laughs> resist throwing that in. So <laughs> I don't have anything. I thought the ladies would at least say amen. <laughs> Let me get back to the scriptures here. I mean, I, oh, Lord, help me. Moses, you're talking about disappointment? He suffered it. You're talking about problems. He had them. No, Numbers chapter 20, verse 11, Moses was to speak to the rock to obtain water. Instead, he struck the rock. You know that. And God says, because you're disobedience. And I think it was also he saw he had an anger issue, and I could go into that. But because of your disobedience, you can see where they're going, but you cannot possess that land. In other words, you can lead them up to the Jordan, but you can't go with them. Somebody says, well, that was just Moses. He accepted all that. No, no, no. It was a big deal. It was a problem. Look at Deuteronomy chapter 3, verse 23. And I pleaded with the Lord, please let me go over and see the good land beyond the Jordan. But the Lord was angry with me because of you and would not listen to me. And God says, you can look at it with your eyes, but you shall not go over the Jordan. Think about it. This man was trained, born to be a leader. Forty years in Pharaoh's household, being trained by the elite of the elite. Forty years on the backside of the desert, learning patience. Forty years he's been with these people in the wilderness. And now he's standing one month before his death. And he's got all this going on, knowing that he's not going to possess the land that he has been trained and born for and called to and now he's standing there and what is he doing he's standing there casting vision telling them you've circled this mountain long enough go and take your journey I don't get one cent not even a little bit of one bit of disappointment in his voice I don't sense one bit of reluctance I see him doing what leaders do and that's cast visions come on you say well I, you don't know how I've been hurt I don't know and I'm sure you have been but you don't know how I've been hurt and I'm sure I have been I'm just telling you it's time that as we get closer to the end time 2023 is an important year it is the beginning of a decade that many evangelicals if not all of them are 
saying we're going to culminate by 2033, which is the 2000th birthday of the resurrection of Jesus and the birth of the church. And we're trying to see the Great Commission fulfilled in that moment. 2023 is the launch point and 2033. You say, will they get it done? No, maybe not. But we're going to be closer than we've ever been because now all kinds of people. I, there, there's, a, there's a group out there and they call theirs finish the task. Another group calls theirs everyone. The Assemblies of God calls theirs MM33. We're all working together to finish the Great Commission and as we move forward we just say we can't stay where we are. We can't stay here because Christianity is being attacked. We can't stay here because the government's not going to cooperate. We can't stay here because China's going to do that or the stock market's going to do that. We look around and the giants are big and are all around us. But I can tell you God is saying get up and get going. You can't stay here. God is going to give us a victory. We're going to give him all the glory. Amen. That's what it's all about. Number five. Vision is indispensable. I am not. I just got through telling you and charging you, everybody's going to go, and we're going to get everybody going, and now I'm telling you, maybe not. What do you mean, Alton? We want you to go. In fact, Moses said at the beginning of that whole ordeal, he said, we're going. When, you remember when Pharaoh said, the men can go, but the women have to stay behind and the children? Moses turned that deal down. Then he said, well, the family can go, but the flock can't go. You, in other words, you won't have anything to sacrifice. You won't be able to worship along the way. Moses turned that down. There was a lot of negotiation going on. Then there were ten plagues. It was a mess. I mean, it was a mess. There was a lot of negotiation. Moses stood up strong and looked that guy in the face, and he said, we're all going, and not one hoof's going to be left behind. That was his declaration. But look what happened. When the people got the report of the ten spies, negativism prevailed. And guess what? Every person 20 years and older that was able to fight got disqualified because they chose not to go. 603,550 men were 20 years or older. If you add every one of them had a wife, that makes 1,207,100 people that because of their negativism, their apostasy, their disobedience, they all died. Now, I know, Pastor, this can't happen, but if they died in an even amortization rate, that would be about 80, 83 funerals a day for 39 years. At the start of the 40th year, 30,177 of them were still alive. Four months later, Miriam died, and Aaron died next. Before the year was out, Moses was gone. In Joshua chapter 1, verse 2, God says, Moses, my servant, is dead. Now, therefore, arise and go over this journey. Go over this Jordan. Go over this mountain. Get this other mountain. Now, I'm not telling God how to write his Bible. I don't want to be irreverent, and I certainly don't want to be disrespectful. But I don't think I would have done it exactly that way. 
Moses, my servant is dead. Now get up and go. He didn't even take a breath. I mean, if I would have written it, I would want to say, now Moses, my servant is dead. But boy, he was a great leader. <laughs> we loved him. He was so wonderful. We built a statue and we can all go by and rub his toe and think about how wonderful he was. He didn't do any of that. So vision is indispensable. I want all of you to go, but if you don't go, we're going without you. <laughs> I can say that because I'm leaving. Pastor won't tell you that. But that's the truth. <laughs> Jesus is building a church, and the gates of hell are not going to prevail against it. We want everybody in it. Some people are not going to go. You say, well, will I go? I hope. Pray. You say, well, I'm not qualified. Oh, wait, wait a minute. Get to number six. <laughs> God's assignment for you is not limited by your personal dis deficiencies. You may not consider yourself to be able. You may not consider yourself to be qualified. My dad was a high school dropout, an alcoholic, till he was about... Uh, 37 years old, a dysfunctional alcoholic. He never finished high school. He never went to Bible college. After he got saved, delivered from alcoholism, within 12 months, before 12 months was over, they appointed him pastor of a church before he'd ever preached his first sermon. They don't do it that way anymore. Maybe shouldn't have done it that way then. But last Saturday, I drove by that little church in southeast Texas, I took a picture of it where he and mom spent 22 years. It's the church where I got saved. It's the church where I started playing the piano for the church. Can I tell you that if God calls you, he can equip you? You may not consider yourself to be capable, but sometimes God takes the unqualified and he qualifies them. And you say, well, I've made too many mistakes. Look at the Bible. It's full of nobodies that God made somebody's out of. Moses stuttered. That wasn't a great leadership gift. Hosea's wife was a prostitute. That wouldn't look good on your resume. Peter was afraid of death. Lazarus was dead. That'll hinder your ministry. <laughs> Come on. You need to understand God can hit good licks with crooked sticks. <laughs> Moses is dead. Joshua was a general in Moses' army. He was selected. He was selected. And there was one that was a comrade of Joshua's. You named him a while ago. I don't know if it went down like this, but it could have. They've already conquered some of the land, and Joshua's distributing some of the land. And he looks over to Caleb, and he says, Caleb, you know... At your age, you, you know, you're about 85. You've been qualified for Social Security and Medicare. Why don't you just go down here and we'll get you a little cabin by the creek and you can raise flowers and vegetables and you can go to Cracker Barrel and get you a rocking chair and you can just sit back and watch us do well. And that old man gets up with flashing eyes and a strong voice and he said I feel as good as I did when Moses first sent us in you give me that mountain how did he do it he said 
I've wholly followed the Lord. I've never had a missional drift or a doctrinal drift, and I have possessed another spirit. I didn't finish reading 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 18 a month ago when it says being transformed from one degree of glory to another. You know what that last little phrase was? By the power of the Spirit. Hallelujah. So the pastor says, we're going to do this. We're going to build this. By the power of the Holy Spirit. We're going to touch people that have never been touched. And if this world that we live in needs Jesus, we're going to help be a distributor. And as long as there's an unsaved person within driving distance of this assembly, we are not big enough and our work is not done. Come on. We can't stay here. Caleb was not even Jewish. His mother was. His dad was a Kesonite. He was fighting for an inheritance he would not possess. Our memories must never get bigger than our dreams. <laughs> Number seven. Failure is never final. But victory is rarely instantaneous. So when they got to Canaan, guess what happened? The manna stopped falling. The water stopped coming out of a rock. They had to go to work. <laughs> now, we love the miracles. They saw a lot of miracles in the wilderness. Their shoes didn't wear out. I told you how much manna they got every day, how much water they got every day. There was a lot of miracles, and we believe in the miracles, and we believe in the supernatural. But we also believe... That God will do his part if we'll do our part. On the day of Pentecost, 3,000 people got saved after one sermon. At the end of that chapter, they were being saved daily. So we want you to be zapped. But we also want you to walk Monday through Saturday. Amen. You say, well, Moses was a failure. He didn't get to go, and he didn't get to lead them, and he didn't get to fulfill his ministry. Oh, but, well, you know, some of you are way ahead of me because you know what the Bible says. But if you're watching online or you, you've not been familiar, you've got to go to Matthew 17. He didn't get the mountain that Caleb possessed. See, Caleb was pointing out the area where the giants were. Jesus, the Bible says in the book of Matthew, Chapter 17, verse 3, is on the mount called Transfiguration. And two Old Testament prophets have time traveled through space. And one's on his right and one's on his left. One is Elijah and the other is Moses. Now here's what I want you to see. This is the gospel according to Garrison. It doesn't say this in your Bible. Don't be looking for it. I'm not saying it should have been there. I'm just saying it could have been there if this sermon could have been much more relevant if it would have been written the way I'm about to tell you. So Peter says, I think it was him, Lord, we just need to stay here because Jesus is in his transcendent glory. And we need to build three tabernacles and let's just stay here. Because this is the glory spot. This is the event. We've just been zapped. <laughs> and Jesus could have said, it's not written this way. Peter, 
We can't stay here. <laughs> See, it's not in there, but wouldn't it have been great if it would have been? <laughs> we can't stay here. I've got the week of passion, then I'm going to the cross. Your redemption never would have gotten satisfied and occurred if Peter would have had his way. And I could go on. Let me just tell you, our spiritual journey always has a next step. I, Jesus went to the cross. They put him in a grave, right? He rose again, and before he left out of the heart of the earth, he went by a place called where? Paradise. Guess what he did? He opened the door, and he said to all of those Old Testament people that were looking forward to Calvary, you can't stay here. we got to go to do you know what else I could say? Is that we're living in the last days. <laughs> and the Father is going to say someday, and I believe it's sooner than it's ever been, to Jesus, you go tell that church down there, Big C, they can't stay there, and the trump of the Lord's going to sound, and the dead in Christ are going to rise first. Then we which are alive and remain shall be caught up with, together with them in the clouds of there, and so shall we ever... You can't stay in cabin. You've got another place going. Hallelujah. It's called being in the presence of the King of kings and the Lord of lords. Come on. That's what it's all about. God is progressively moving us toward his future rewards. Bow your heads. If you are to... Let the Holy Spirit personalize this to you today. How would it look? There's four things that you have to do, or at least I suggest you do, that I would hope that you might do if you're going to get to the next level. You need to assess where you are. Being honest about your current reality is the first step. Now, I started with the most unspiritual and unscriptural illustration, but I can tell you that dieting is never effective if you don't step on the scale first to know where you are. Once you assess that, then you start asking the Holy Spirit, seeking out methodologies, plans to... See what God's speaking to you about, daily communion, discipleship training, whatever it is, daily devotional, whatever it is. And then you develop a plan and you work your plan and then you become accountable to somebody. So my prayer today is that everybody has a next level potential. My prayer is the Holy Spirit will challenge you with yours. You say, well, what do you mean? If you have never accepted Jesus Christ as your personal Savior, if you've never asked him to forgive you, if you've never confessed him as Lord, then your next step is what we would call a conversion experience. My dad had that happen to him in a car driving from a party 
my mother-in-law that we just had her service two weeks ago, 93 years old, was a Buddhist, raised Buddhist. Billy Graham and the big crusade in 1954 challenged her. She'd never been in a service before in a big stadium. Surrender. She didn't know what that meant. But she came down front and Jesus changed her. That was her next step. If you have become a believer and you've never been water baptized, your next step, your next level may be water baptism. If you've been baptized in water and you've never been spirit baptized, your next step could be Holy Spirit baptism. If you are being discipled and you've never really done the disciplines of discipleship, maybe you've never started a daily devotional, that could be your next step. How can I be discipled? How can I every day be in the Word? That's your next step. If you have never, another discipline we believe is important, if you've never given your tithe, 10% of your income to the Lord, then that could be a next step. If you've never given to missions or made a faith promise or become a kingdom builder, that could be your next step. If you've never shared your faith, that could be a next step. But just think about how many things in your growth pattern as you explore, as you embrace, as you experience, and as you express, those are all movements that God's asking you to take. All he's saying is, wherever you are, you can't stay there. So with your heads bowed and your eyes closed, and I know that seems a little perfunctory and people say it all the time. I really do want it to do what I think it should do, and that's just respect the confidentiality of your neighbor's response. So, so nobody will say, I wonder what their next step is. It's between you and God. If you can identify or the Holy Spirit has given you and nudged your heart with his convicting spirit that you have a next step, it may be more than one, but you have at least one next step that's in your horizon, and you're ready to submit to it and surrender to it today. You don't have to tell me what it is. I'm not going to ask you, but you know it's between you and God. If you have one, I want you to raise your hand right now and commit yourself to that. And I'm going to pray for that commitment. Come on. Hands are going up literally all over the room. I would want it and hope and pray that it would be 100% because all of us have a next step potential. Amen. Now stand, please. Instead of asking you to come and identify that, I'm going to ask the Holy Spirit to seal that inside you and let your journey start maybe today, but certainly throughout the week. Father, in the name of Jesus, I ask you to personalize what we have heard today to every person. Now, they've been courageous enough, faith-filled enough to raise their hand and say, honest enough, I have a next step potential. I have something that's in my future that God, I believe, is going to be pleased for me to do. Holy Spirit, help them. To make that reality. Help them to stay on the journey. Help them to finish strong. Help them. If it needs to be a forgiveness issue, let them ask for forgiveness. If it's the seeking issue where they're seeking 
more of you through Holy Spirit baptism and a special prayer language. If it's action atoms like uh, witnessing or sharing your faith or, or reading your Bible every day, their Bible every day, or giving a tithe or giving to the kingdom builder, helping this victory occur that we heard about earlier in the service. Whatever it is, Holy Spirit, we need you to help us. And I pray that James will be a reality that we will resist the devil and submit ourselves to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from us and will not interrupt us on our spiritual journey. Everybody say out loud with me, I receive instructions from the Holy Spirit. I will, with everything within me, seek to be obedient. I need your help, Lord. I need the power of the Holy Spirit. I rebuke the adversary, and I claim victory in Jesus' name. Amen, amen, and amen. That's so be it. Praise the Lord. Amen. Amen. God bless you. Would you put your hands together today? Appreciate the Word of God today. And uh, I just want to challenge you today. As we go out, uh, don't just exit, but exit with a determination that we're going forward. Amen. Because God's got more for us than uh, in our future than He ever has in, his pa in our past. And I thank God for everything that's in our past. Hey, God bless you. I love you. If you're a first-time guest today, I'd love to greet you and meet you. I'll be on the front porch in just a few moments. God bless you. Have a wonderful, wonderful Sunday afternoon. Have a great day. God bless you. Hello, this is Greg Sanders, pastor of the Assembly here in Cabot. I want to say thanks for listening today. If you are ever in the Cabot area, we'd love to have you join us for a service. For service times, check out our webpage at theassemblycabot.com. Thanks again for listening. We hope you have a great day, and God bless.